Well, we move into Genesis 25, beloved, where this evening we'll be looking at verses 1 through 18, in which we read about things which at the same time are both important and transitional. We're talking about the twilight years and the death of Abraham and then a recounting of the descendants of Abraham's first son, Ishmael. So uh, let's read it and then we'll get into it. Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore to him Zimran and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shuah. Jokshan became the father of Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashuram and Latushim and Laumam. The sons of Midian were Ephah and Epher and Hanak and Abida and Eldah. All these were the sons of Keturah. Now Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines Abraham gave gifts while he was still living, and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life, and he was gathered to his people. Then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of, of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohor the Hittite, facing Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried with Sarah his wife, it came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived by Beer Laharoi. Now these are the records of the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maid, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names, in order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, and Adbil, and Bibsam, and Mishma, and Duma, and Masa, Hadad, and Tema, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names, by their villages, and by their camps, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, one hundred and thirty-seven years, and he breathed his last and died, He was and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes towards Syria, he settled in defiance of all his relatives. Sometimes I listen to sports talk radio, and one of the things I've noticed over the years is that whenever there's a downtime on the sports calendar, and usually it's in the middle of the summer because there's only baseball, really, that's going on in the summer of you know the major sports, well, anyway, when there's a downtime, the radio guys are usually looking for things to talk about to generate discussion. I mean, there's only so much you can say about NFL minicamps. So uh, to keep the show going, to keep the listener interested, uh, one of the most reliable go-to topics is you know, just rank something. And one of the ways they do this is to pose a question like, who is on the Mount Rushmore of fill in the blank like who's on the Mount Rushmore of NFL head coaches who's on the Mount Rushmore of best center fielders of all time um, of course we know Mount Rushmore in South Dakota uh, early 20th century it was sculpted four of our president's faces are on it four of our most iconic presidents Washington Jefferson Lincoln and Theodore Roosevelt so the thought is who's on the Mount Rushmore 
And that's how they go it. That's how they rank people. And you, you can do that for any kind of sport. You can do that for any kind of debate, really. Um, which is why the radio guys always, you know, in the recent years, I've noticed it more and more, uh, dragging it out. And I say all of that to say this, because tonight's not about sports radio. That if you were doing a Mount Rushmore of the Bible, and you exclude Jesus from this, because obviously Jesus is Jesus, it would be practically impossible, and, and I would argue illegitimate, to not include Abraham on the Mount Rushmore of the Bible. In fact, Abraham would have to be my first pick, at least personally. That's how much he, and his story, and what God promised him, and how it plays out and continues to play out, that's how much he matters to the rest of the Bible, and really, indeed, all of history. We have been following Abraham's life, the good and the bad, the, the glory and the shame, the faithlessness and the faithfulness. We've been following Abraham since the tail end of Genesis 11, and really in chapter 12 is where his story really picks up. And He's the man God made the covenant with, land, seed, and blessing, and his influence over his descendants throughout the scriptures is such that you, if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you were to die today, you'd be with Jesus in what he called paradise. But another name for that place, if you recall, from Luke chapter 16 is what? It's Abraham's bosom. That's where people of faith go until the kingdom, until until the consummation of all things, until you know eventually a new heaven and a new earth and, and everything that's happening in the future. And so as a pastor, I really hope that all of this time we've spent talking about Abraham has opened your eyes wider than they were previously to how important he is to Genesis and really how important he is to all of the Bible. And perhaps that eye-opening isn't done because his shadow is still going to hover over the rest of Genesis and beyond, and, and that will be hard to argue. Now, I say all that to say this, too. He was just a man. And being just a man, he was born a sinner. His earthly life was but a temporary sojourn, just like ours is, because it is appointed for men once to die, and then the judgment. So Abraham would die. But first... In this passage, we see the last 35 years of his life. And they are summarized beginning in verse 1, where we see first, Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. Now, nothing is told to us about where she came from and about her background. We can't say for sure how she came to know Abraham, except that she did become his wife. And I want to stress that because there are a couple of places one is here in verse 6, and there's another one in First Chronicles 1, verse 32, where she is described as a concubine. But the word here in verse 1, I want to make it clear that it is the word for wife. Um, I believe that the usage of concubine in those other two places is probably to differentiate her from Sarah, um, from his primary wife, from the wife Abraham would be buried with. Um, to differentiate her from Sarah and also from Hagar for that matter. In fact, in verse 6, you can include Hagar along with Keturah in uh, the word concubine there. Uh, but, you know, and if, you're, if you recall back in chapter 16, Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham as a wife so that he could have a son Ishmael. So, I, I, I do have an idea 
where she came from, for what it's worth. When you think about how insistent Abraham was that Isaac not marry a Canaanite woman, it does seem unlikely that after the death of Sarah, he would just marry someone from that area, that he would just marry someone from among those people. So I think it is probably likely that she was probably already a part of Abraham's household before she became his wife. Perhaps a maid to Sarah before Sarah died, or part of the household in some other way. But the point is, she was most likely not a stranger. She was most likely not from the land, but was part of Abraham's household already. Now, whether that's the case or not, Abraham does remarry her after Sarah's death. Now, some commentators have speculated he took Keturah um, as a wife before Sarah died. But the wording of verse 1 makes that very unlikely. Um, and if you recall, Abraham was highly reluctant to go into Hagar. And it was only when Sarah absolutely insisted he do so that he did. So that means that Abraham was 140 years old when Sarah died. And sometime after that, and we can presume not long after that, he took Keturah as his wife. And she would have been significantly younger than him especially considering she bears him six sons. Six sons in the 35 years he had left on earth. Six sons after 140 years old. And and that's a reminder to us, by the way, that when God heals us, he heals us thoroughly. He heals us completely. And And what I mean by that is, think about how Jesus healed. When Jesus made the lame to walk, they didn't go away limping. When Jesus... Uh, it made the blind to see. They didn't put on glasses. The point being, God revived Abraham's reproductive system. And when he did that at age 99, along with Sarah's, it would seem that he was completely rejuvenated. So that even at age 140, he was still able to have six more sons. Um, God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. You know, What's the song you learned as a kid? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And we know very little about those other sons. Only two are mentioned any more beyond their names, and those are Jokshan and Midian. (coughs) Uh, Jokshan is uh, spoken of with reference to his sons, Sheba and uh, Didan, which are... Names we see mentioned uh, scattered throughout the Old Testament, and they are mentioned together in the, the Old Testament and other places. But there's more than one Sheba, and there's one than more Dedan, so distinguishing them becomes difficult. Midian we know more about. His descendants are, of course, the Midianites, and later in Genesis we see them align with the descendants of Ishmael. Uh, we see them align with the Moabites in the book of Numbers. We see them with the Amalekites in Judges chapter 6. And none of those situations are good. But we do see in Exodus 2, Moses flee from Egypt into the land of, what, Midian. And he lives with, he lives there for 40 years. He marries a daughter of Midian. He marries you know the, the daughter of Jethro, the priest of Midian, who, by the way, fears God. But that's really all we get about Keturah's sons. And then in verse 5, Abraham gives all he had to who? To Isaac. More on that in a second, by the way. But in verse 6, to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living. 
and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. And I do want to note that, that concubines is plural there, and so it indicates that Ishmael received a gift as well, which was no doubt a sizable amount of possessions, uh, probably so that each of them could be very well off, their own flocks, their own herds. Abraham took care of all of his sons, and, and I do want to make that clear. But it is evident that Isaac got the bulk of it because he is the son of promise. Isaac is the son of the covenant. The, the land is promised to Isaac and to his descendants. And, and so the other sons were sent to the east to emphasize that fact. Isaac would dwell in the promised land, not them. Um, now, at this point, I do want to just answer a potential argument. Because, because reading this on the surface through our 21st century lenses... Well, Abraham didn't love his other sons like he loved Isaac. Well, there's probably some truth in that. But let me make this point. We know from Scripture that Abraham loved Isaac. Isaac was special, yes, but he, he, he does love Ishmael. We see that in Scripture. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you, he says to God. The Isaac is focused on... Because God focuses on Isaac. Not because Abraham picked him out, but because God picked him out. And so scripture may not tell us everything about the relationship between Abraham and all his other sons. So it's not a fair criticism to say that Abraham didn't take care of his other sons, or that Abraham loved Isaac more than his other sons, or that Abraham didn't love his other sons sufficiently. That's not a fair criticism. We ha I have very little doubt that Abraham loved all of his sons and that he took care of them, and that he separates them from Isaac because it's what God wanted him to do. Because Abraham had the responsibility of ensuring the blessing as God had planned it, as God had announced it, and as God had set it into motion and brought it to pass. Abraham had the responsibility of ensuring that Isaac was okay, that it passed to him. And, and this is a reminder to us, beloved, that no doubt how... Uh, no, 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 ha, no matter how long we might live, no matter how faithful we might be, we're not here forever. Your body is going to perish. My body is going to perish. Believers die. So the work in us begun by God, as, as Alan Ross writes in his Genesis commentary, God's servants must do all they can to ensure that God's program of blessing continues from generation to generation without interruption. Abraham's legacy left to Isaac was not his material wealth any more than your true legacy to your progeny will be your material wealth or lack thereof or whatever. Abraham's material wealth, by the way, was considerable, but it was his spiritual wealth that was monumentally more considerable. Abraham knew God. Abraham loved his wife dearly. Abraham made mistakes, but he learned from his mistakes. He was very often unselfish. He would put his life on the line for others. He would intercede to God on behalf of others. Not to mention, he was obediently faithful even to the point of being willing to sacrifice his own son. And why? Because he believed in all of the promises of God. Isaac learned from Abraham to know and trust the one and only living God. 
the covenant-making God, the covenant-keeping God. So like Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There are four generations of Christian discipleship in those verses. In that ver- that one verse, you got Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and the others who will be taught by the faithful men. Abraham then is a reminder that we must live lives that exalt Jesus Christ, that make disciples, and that pass the torch to the next generation. In verses 7 through 11, then, Abraham dies. He lives 175 years dying. And I like the way the KJV puts it. He gave up the ghost. That's where that comes from. It wasn't. Uh, it was you know it wasn't an old age really when you compare Abraham to those who came before him. But think about who is writing this and who's who's collecting this and who's gathering this for the nation of Israel. Hundreds of years later, it's Moses. And it was old age compared to what they would live to. Moses lived to 120, for instance. So. Abraham was full of years, gathered to his people, and if you notice verse 9, Isaac and Ishmael were there to bury him. Both of them were. And that indicates a couple of things. First, that some sort of reconciliation between the two had probably taken place. And secondly, that Ishmael probably didn't hold the past against his father, which goes to probably show you we don't have all the information about the relationship between Abraham and Ishmael. And that's okay. God has given us exactly what he wants us to have. Abraham was buried in the cave of Machpelah where Sarah was buried. So united in flesh and life, they would be united in death until, uh, you know, their bodies are united in death until one day they'll be in the kingdom. One day they'll be, you know, in the new heaven and new earth, inheriting all the promises for eternity. Isaac, meanwhile, let's talk about him. God blessed Isaac, verse 11. He is now the one on whom the promise rests. He is the surviving link in the messianic chain that started at Adam. And God would now begin to cause Isaac to prosper. Notice, too, that Isaac dwelt at Beer Laharoi. That's the well where Ishmael's mother Hagar encountered God, the well where Isaac first met his wife Rebekah face to face and you know, Isaac seems to be drawn to this place. We'll see him come back there later on in his life. And then, you know, ver- just a quick word about verses 12 through 18. We see the descendants of Ishmael named. Um, Isaac was probably the one to include them in the record. Um, Ishmael would have been about 90 when his father died. So his 12 sons are grown, and probably by this point, they've become powerful enough to settle in their own towns and such that they would be called princes, by the way. But but like with Keturah's sons, we don't have much solid information on Ishmael's sons, but there is a common thread that their names seem to be tied to place names in what we now know as Arabia. And you may have heard Ishmael is the father of the Arab peoples, by the way. Uh, through, Ish, through Isaac would come the Jews, through Ishmael many nations of Arabs, um, or Arabs. Uh, to say it more politically correct, I guess. But Muslims to this day trace their lineage to Abraham through Ishmael. They do so illegitimately, of course, but it goes to show you um, that Ishmael is not to be forgotten. Um, as for Ishmael himself, verse 17, he dies at age 137. So he lives 38 years fewer than his father. 
and he'll live 43 years fewer than his brother Isaac. And one question that lingers about Ishmael is whether or not he was a believer. Um, it's there are arguments both ways. I, I will say we, you know, the, the default position is no. Of course, he wasn't a believer. Um, but you could argue it both ways. First, you know, we're told he was gathered unto his people, just like Abraham was. The fact he helped bury Abraham suggests he was not angry with him. And his father, no doubt, would have taught him about the one true God and would have brought Ishmael up to know who he was. And for that matter, Hagar knew the Lord. She had encountered him, so it's possible that he was a believer. On the other hand, in verse 18, we read his sons settled from Havilah to Shur, from the east of Egypt into Assyria, which is modern Turkey and Iran, or Iraq, and um, and Ishmael himself, we're told, settled in defiance of his relatives, which means that he was probably, for the most part, a loner. Uh, his mother had been told in Genesis 16:12 he would be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand would be against everyone living in defiance of his brothers. So he may well not have been a believer as well. We just don't know. Um, in any either way, what is true about him is the what the word of God said about him is true. So the point as we close here, and this entire verse 18, 18 verse section, the point of it is that it shows the beginning of the passing of one generation to another. Now, the narrative is not going to focus on the era of Isaac and Ishmael as much as it did Abraham. Abraham gets 13 and a half chapters of scripture. Isaac isn't going to get close to that, but... What is clear is that the promise-making, covenant-keeping God has chosen Isaac. Before he was a thought in his old father and my old mother's mind and heart, God chose Isaac. And he blessed Isaac. We'll see him protect Isaac. And eventually Isaac will pass the blessing on to another generation. And it is a reminder, beloved, that our time on earth is in the hands of God. And while we are here... We ought to be investing our lives in those who will be here after us so that they will follow Christ and hopefully we have and are following Christ and they will train up another generation to do the same. That's the hope. That's our aim. That, that should be what our ministry is about. And if and when that happens, God will honor it. If not on earth, then in Abraham's bosom and ultimately in his son's kingdom. So let us live for that and live for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. This is a passage that um, is not the most exciting. It is not the most captivating narrative in the world. Um, but it's important because it, it's your truth. And all scripture is inspired by you and profitable for us and and so we thank you that in this passage we see your faithfulness and we see our need to live for your glory and make disciples so that generations after us can inherit the legacy of your grace that you've shown us Father, help us to live kingdom-minded. Help us to live acknowledging your faithfulness 
and with an eye toward making disciples who can make more disciples. And this we will do if you permit. We pray you'll be glorified in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.